Good morning, friends. We are back and better than ever um, as we have taken a bright, uh, brief, not bright, brief pause uh, here for about a week for uh, Michael to go off gallivanting and play some pretty cool golf. Um, but we're back this morning and thankful that uh, you're with us. It was in uh, the budget. I just want that to be clear. It was in the budget. <laughs> Vacation slash golf was, was, was in the budget. How's everything in Somerset this morning, Brother Ray? Everything is great, my friend. How are you? Very good. Very good. We, uh, as most places around here, uh, are starting to open back up. Um, we're back to work at the bank and, um, I've moved out of my basement and took about a year to get back to the bank, but, uh, I'm tickled to be back in my office. It's amazing to think that, uh, I'm at a point in life where I'm happy to go into the office every day just because I can. <laughs> so, uh, and you're, you're in a dress shirt. And so I, I really feel like we're stepping it up a notch. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's, we're still, thankfully the bank's been good. I'm, we're still not tied yet. Um, and I was in a suit for the first time in like six months uh, earlier this week for some meetings, but, uh, but it's good. It's good. I'm at least not in the staying t-shirt that you all are accustomed to seeing me in. Uh, so again, let's pick up real quick where, where we, we left off. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about budgeting here and the Christian budget. We're talking about how, um, just how we can be better. Um, when we talk about this idea of stewardship that we introduced uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, our, our goal here is not that, um, you know, you're already perfect or, you know, uh, that, that there's nothing that we can all get better at. But to paraphrase the Apostle Paul, we're striving to get there. We're, we're still trying to get better and striving to um, get to the point where, um, you know, where we, we can be better about some of these things. So, our, our budget here that we've been going over um, and, and the verses that we've been sticking with here in Proverbs 27, 23 through 24, know well the condition of your flock. So you got to know what you have first. So know well what you got, assets, liabilities, know what you got. And then Luke chapter 14, you know, for which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't sit down first and compute the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it. Now th there's some biblical principles that we've been working with here about understanding what we have, understanding what it costs, in order to do the things that we need to do, do the things that we want to do, and making sure that we're making those decisions appropriately. Uh, remember, the number one thing when we, we look at this is, you know, we are uh, powers of attorney. We are fiduciaries of God's money. This is God's stuff that he's entrusted us with to do his will. And along the way, you know, part of those responsibilities are taking care of our families and, and taking care of um, certain things we have to on an individual level, but it's all for the glory of the kingdom, as we talked about in, in some of the other lessons. So, um, Michael, if you click us through, we're, we're, so here's, let's start through the budget. You know, this is where we've been so far. Um, you know, so far, uh, we started off with, um, you know, what, what the income is, because that's where you got to start. So this is the typical average Kentucky family household. We do that because Michael and I are in Kentucky if you're joining us from another state. So that monthly number is 4167 for a typical household family. So look, first condition of your flocks, what we got? We got 4167 coming in. Then as we talked about, the most important thing is not to pay yourself first, but is to pay uh, charitable or, or God's things first. So we talked about giving to the church and other charitable gifts. We talked about how, um, you know, the Israelites, not only did they have, you know, the tithe or the tenth that they paid, 
But also there were things that they had to do, leaving the corners of their field, helping the fatherless and the widows, helping those that are poor and the sojourners and the strangers. So all of that is, has to be baked into our budget. If we don't bake that into our budget, money's not going to be there and we're going to spend it on something else. So first, God's causes. Second, then we pay ourselves. We've got to build up some savings, insurance, look into the future, retirement. All of those things need to be accounted for in the budget. Um, and we talked about how those things have to be accounted for because we have surprises that come up. We have, um, you know, things that are going to uh, trip us up. Um, but there's also some things that we can just anticipate, right? If you're, you know, if your furnace is lasts for 10 years and it's eight years old in two years, you're going to need a furnace. You know, maybe you get 11, 12, 13 years out of it and you stretch it out. But by and large, things have a useful life expectancy and we have to save for those. We have to accrue for them. Um, whether it be, you know, household appliances, whether it be furnaces, roofs, or vehicles, whatever we're talking about. And at some point, um, we're going to retire, um, or going to want to retire anyway. And uh, we've got to start saving and planning for that as early as possible if we're going to meet those goals. So we've got, you know, what belongs to God is we're giving for his causes. We've got our savings. Our last um, lesson, we looked at housing. And so when we talk about our housing, you know, we talked about some ratios of what it takes for mortgage or rent, utilities, phone, maintenance, homeowners insurance, all the things that go in there. But also, what's your house for? You know, and I think that's, you know, if you hadn't listened to that lesson, please go back and, and listen to it again. But it's important to understand what our houses are for, um, you know, using them for hospitality, using them for um, making sure that our children and our, our wives, our family is safe and can grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All of those things are important. We've got to provide that. Doesn't mean we need, um, you know, which means that we have to tamper what the difference between a want and a need are, right? We need a safe place to go. Uh, we may want, you know, 10,000 square feet, but, you know, we need to tamper those things and understand what that goes and look at our ratios post giving and saving. You know, we talked about how bankers will take you off the top line, what your gross income is. Um, but we should, Christians should adjust based on uh, what their giving and savings needs are. So we also talked about mortgages and how those work as leverage, which leads us to our discussion today. Mr. Ray, tell us where we're going to spend our time today. Well, mortgages is kind of a, a good jumping off point into this conversation, Mike, as we, as we talk about debt um, more in general. And uh, I think it's important to note as we look at this, this fictional family and their budget is they have this aspirational budget that we've talked about before. They, they, have, they were able to um, do the kind of giving that, that we talked about at a, at a pretty high level, frankly, on a percentage of income basis. They were able to do the kind of saving that they're able to do because of this, because of this slide, um, because they're, they're, with the exception of their mortgage and, and you'll notice there's a car payment, <clears throat> they don't have any additional personal debt, um, no credit card debt, no student debt. Um, and, and so we're, we're going to spend a few minutes this, this, uh, this lesson talking about, you know, what that debt does to us, both from a, to a very practical economic perspective and also from a biblical perspective. Um, because this, this picture that we're looking at on this screen that a family with no credit card debt and no student debt is far from the norm. Um, if you want, you know, some 
evidence on that. <clears throat> Here's some personal debt statistics um, from from the United States. Um, uh, look look first at the at the kind of the, the graphic on the left. The average consumer in the United States, in addition to their mortgage debt. So of course we talk about that's that's likely for many of us that's our largest debt. In addition to mortgage debt, has on average thirty thousand dollars of student loan debt, five thousand dollars of credit card debt, and, and a fifteen thousand uh, dollar personal auto loan. So, you know that that's that's roughly fifty thousand dollars of personal debt in addition to a, a mortgage. Um, if we if we didn't note it strongly enough already, we're basing this uh, aspirational budget on an average family that has fifty thousand dollars of annual uh, gross income <laughs> um, if that that would obviously lead to the conclusion that the average consumer has one year of income just to pay off their personal debt uh, beyond their mortgage and that's really what the infographic here on the right is describing to us um, how much um, of an a year's pay go would would go to just personal debt. Again, outside of a mortgage, set that mortgage aside. That's our largest piece of debt. Set that aside. Look at all the other debt, credit card, uh, student loan debt, auto debt, etc. How does that compare to um, annual income? And you'll notice the states there in red, the average debt is larger than the average uh, median income. State of Kentucky, you'll note that the, the number is about 90%. That the the debt uh, is about is about 50,000. And as we noted, the, the income is just over that. So and, and it's interesting in that kind of in that kind of southeast region that that tends to be, for whatever reason, that tends to be the uh, the the trend or the average. The point is, in a bigger perspective. It, it, the, the American way of life is built on having a significant amount of personal debt. Um, and that, that leads to some implications, some real implications on the budget. If that number is not zero, it, it affects this, this, this whole stewardship budget that we're working on. Uh, debt is corrosive to budget. And that, that, the, the reason for that is, if we are forced to include debt payments on that personal and student debt line, this, this budget needs to balance. Those, those monies have to come from somewhere. There has to be other allocations made for that credit card debt payment, for that student loan debt payment, um, for, that, for that other uh, borrowing um, on the Sears card or on the, uh, or on the home, the Lowe's card. Um, all of that, all of that debt, if we if we include that in this budget, again, there has to be allocation made somewhere. It's going to come out of our saving um, bucket, or it's come, going to come out of our giving bucket, and and unfortunately, that's probably the the first place that that is affected. Right? You can't you can't just arbitrarily pay less on your mortgage. You can't you can't arbitrarily take money uh, out of your um, utility budget. Those, those things are pretty fixed. Um, our taxes, our, our car payments, those are fixed. And so uh, when, when, when rational people sit down and, and, and look at, you know, uh, now I've got to make these debt payments, where, where do I have to make allocation? Suddenly it, it, it becomes reasonable to save a little less, to put less into that saving account, that replacement account 
for the roof or for the car as we know that it's going to um, depreciate and, and, and we're going to have some obsolescence. It, it, it forces money out of the giving bucket. And so it has this corrosive effect on the overall budget. It is not just the debt is owing someone else. It is the ancillary effects down, downstream on, on the, the budget as a whole. And so uh, I think big picture, before we get into the scriptural admonitions about debt, just from a practical perspective, Mike, I, I, would, I would make the point that this aspirational budget that, that you and I have talked about is only possible because this fictional family has their debt house in order. And if that wasn't the case, if they were making significant personal debt payments every month, this, this what we're looking at, it just simply is not, it's just not possible. The, the other parts of the debt of, of the, of the budget get squeezed too much. Right. And, and, and I think, you know, let's take just a brief sidebar here too, and talk a little bit about the impact of, of not only debt, but, you know, corrosive debt versus leverage, right? You know, mortgage debt is not bad debt. And, and, you know, I'm going to let the accountant speak on this uh, for a minute, but, you know, if we looked at, so what we're looking at here is an income statement or a statement of cash flows, you know, that, that's the financial document really that, that a budget is. But there's another very, you know, important document that we should look at. And, and that's what's called, you know, a balance sheet. So your balance sheet are you got your assets on one side of the sheet and your liabilities on the other side of the sheet, right? So when you buy a home, you know, you go out and you may have a, a debt of, uh, you know, 150000 but you've got a home that's worth 150000 right? So those two offset, you've got assets for that debt. But when you have $20,000 worth of credit card debt that is based on burritos, then you have $20,000 of debt with no asset next to it. So, Michael, talk a little bit just, you know, conceptually about balance sheets and about how debt that doesn't have assets, you know, destroys a family's net worth. Yeah, I think there are some legitimate questions that a Christian needs to ask themselves before they take on debt. And, and, and one of those is, is just what you know. I mean, I, I would say, and I don't know which, which question is first. I might argue that the first question is, can I afford it? <laughs> you know, that, that's pretty simple. Okay. And so, you know, even if, even if what, I'm, what I am buying is a long-term asset that does have long-term value from a balance sheet perspective, if I can't afford the payment, that's still a, uh, in, in my judgment, that is a unscriptural, that's not a steward, that's not a use of God's funds, if it's putting me in a position where I can't afford the payment. So even if it is a really nice asset, even if I have an opportunity to buy a, a beautiful house below market value, all that's irrelevant if I can't make the payment. Um, and so, so, so that would, that would be question number one. Do we know the condition of our flocks and, and, uh, can just from a very top line budget perspective, can I afford it? Once you get past that, that first hurdle, the second question is, is, are there legitimate, um, economic benefits to what I am uh, purchasing with this debt? Because if I am going to take on debt and we're going to look at all of the, the scriptural, um, warnings about debt and they're real and they should be taken seriously. If there are genuine scriptural warnings about debt, then I need to ask myself some pretty serious questions if I'm going to take on this debt. And, and, and one of those needs to be, um, is, is what I am acquiring with this debt have long-term value for me and for, and more importantly for God. Um, because again, this is his money that we are leveraging to your point. This is, this is, 
or um, this is going to be his asset that I'm going to be paying off over time. This, this, from a big picture perspective, this whole system of debt, what it allows us to do is it, it allows us to, to take on this asset and pay for it over time. And so is what I am paying for over time, um, is it a benefit in God's kingdom? If it, and so I, I think there's two ways to look at that, Mike, both, both from a, from a balance sheet perspective, does it have, uh, does it have a, a long-term asset value? Is it, is it something that's going to appreciate over time? Is it going to be worth more 10 years from now than it, than it is now, just from an economic perspective, which would make it a, a, a worthwhile investment, a worthwhile debt? And secondly, does it have kingdom value? Is it going to be worth, is it going to have value to God over the next 10 years? If it is, if, it's, if, this, if this asset that we're buying does, has genuine value to God over the next 30 years, I don't, I don't have scriptural um, issues with paying for it over 30 years. If it continues to have value to God over that, over that time horizon. If I'm paying credit card debt on a television for the next five years, what was the kingdom value of that that I'm continuing to spend God's money on for five years? That's a, that's a real, real, I think that is a much more difficult scriptural um, case to make. Um, so, you know, again, I, I, I think those are questions that we need to ask very seriously when we're going to take on any debt, um, even mortgage debt, even though, even to your point, we're, we're getting an asset. Is this, does this asset have kingdom value over the life of this debt? If the answer is yes, I think we can comfortably move forward. If we can comfortably make the payment, um, and say, yeah, this, this is, this is a value to God. And we know that houses do because of all the things that we talked about in our last lesson. Um, but if it doesn't, if this doesn't have kingdom value over the life of where I'm going to be paying for this, for this thing, um, it, it should cause us to have some pause. And so education, I think is a, is a sticky wicket there a little bit. And, 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 and we really need to think about it. Um, and again, I am, I am far from, uh, saying that education doesn't have value. Um, or, and I'm also far from saying it doesn't have kingdom value. I think that in many instances it can, but, but I, I do think that, that Christian people need to think about that very seriously is that, that as stewards of God's things, if we're going to be paying for this over 30 years, we, we better be prayerfully considering if it has kingdom value over that period. And, and, and I think, you know, to, to the student loan side of it. Um, and, and, and again, I, I'm not here to pick on you or, or, you know, poke at people by any stretch of the imagination. But I think there has, there's been a lot uh, over the last several years that have not been thoughtful about their student loan debt, right? If you have, you know, 50, 75, $100,000 of student loan debt to provide a career that the earnings are $25,000 a year, that's a terrible choice. Um, it doesn't matter what college you go to. I'm, I'm not knocking public versus private anything, but we've got to be we've got to be thoughtful of the amount of debt that we take out versus what the return is on it as well. You know, there, there are, you know, uh, unfortunately young people that are, you know, still living with their parents because they've got massive debt payments and they get debt payments on the student loan. And, and at the end of the, the day, they've come out with jobs that are not nearly enough to support the debt payment plus anything else. And, and that's a terrible situation to be in. Um, but the question is, you know, when we go into this on the front end, it's, it's always easier to make these decisions on the front end, right? And, and that's, that's maybe the most important thing, if you get anything out of all we've talked about, is make these decisions now in life. Don't, 
you know, it, it makes it difficult if we're sitting down with you, you know, if you come to, you know, Mike and Mike's budgeting workshop here and we're sitting down with you over the kitchen table trying to figure out how to fix your finances and you say, oh, by the way, I've already got all this debt. Our mythical budget here doesn't work, as Michael said many times. You've got to make the payments. When you've incurred the debt, you've got to make the payments. Um, so if, if that's the case, then how do we fix that? Well, nobody's going to write you a mythical you know, check. We don't have you know, Jesus or a benefactor out here that's going to wipe out all your debt so that you can start over the right way. But what we can tell you is before you take on the debt, before you sign up on that, you know, federal student loan application, think about it. You know, I, my aspirations are for job X that's going to pay Y. So how many years of working at said job before I can even scratch the surface of this debt? You know, and if I'm burdened under a, you know, if I got $100,000 of student loans, then essentially I have a mortgage payment, right? When I get out 30 years, $100,000, I've got almost a mortgage payment that I've got to now start making. Well, if you've got a mortgage payment, you've got to start making, that means that you can't afford a mortgage. So you've either got to find a way to get some additional income or cut somewhere else. And as Michael said, far too often, the conversations that, that I know I've had is that what gets cuts giving first and then savings right behind it. So those two line items get knocked out. And then what happens is absence of those, because you don't have savings, because you don't have giving, you know what else goes up? Credit card debt, because you can't afford those emergencies that pop up along the way that aren't really emergencies. They're just useful assets have worn out their life expectancy. So now you're constantly having to go to the well of the credit cards. Well, you can't afford any of the rest of your payments anyway, and you've got a new payment. So it becomes a vicious cycle that you can never get out of. Correct. And, and that's where we talk about the corrosive nature of this is that to your point, when, when, when we start robbing the replacement fund or the giving fund um, in order to make, in order to make debt payments, then in the replacement fund, the emergency fund, which I, I think we said more correctly as a replacement fund, when that gets robbed, when it is time to replace the roof, now we're into home equity debt, right? So we have this new debt payment. And so the new debt payment increases the monthly and it, 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 feeds on itself. And then we have to steal again and again, because the, the, it seems like the most liquid and, and, the, and the, mo the most fluid, the easiest to, to compress, we compress giving more, we compress saving more and, and those things build on themselves. So I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think what we're, I think what we're both saying is anytime we step into this debt um, decision, there's really a series of questions that we need to ask ourselves very seriously. And, and both from a practical, and I think you point out from an economic perspective, is this, is this a good debt? And then, and then I would say, you know, even if it is an economic, you know, I can make sense of it economically, is it of kingdom value? And so there's a, there's a series of, of, of questions there. So, um, you know, that, that, you know, certainly know the condition of your flocks and make that economic assessment, but then make that, make that kingdom assessment. You know, is this, is it, is this something I want to be comfortable spending God's money on for the next, for the next 20 years? Um, and you know, that's those, that's a prayerful, real serious consideration that there aren't necessarily bright lines to show in scripture where those boundaries are. It's, it's another one of those things that we repetitively come to in this series of lessons is it's one of those things that we got to pray about and check our heart, meditate about. Um, and, 
because there's not a there's not a spiritual formula. Um, it's it's prayer and contemplation. And, and let me add one more thing to that and seek guidance. You know, the, listen, the, the, the beautiful thing about the church is that you've got people that sit within 10 feet of you that have been where you are right now. That, that's, that's what I love about this. You know, for new parents, guess what? There's a, another family in the church that has teenagers. And for parents that have no idea what to do with teenagers, there's a family that their kids are in college or their kids are fully grown that there's people around you that have been through what you've been through. And I'm not saying that everything that they did was right, but sometimes the best way to learn is from their mistakes. Sit down with them, go out to lunch with them after church and pick their brain and say, Hey, I'm getting ready to go to college. You all just got out of college. What can I learn from you? What mistakes did you make? What do you wish you could do over, you know, and maybe it's not the, the guys that just got out of college, but the married couple that's in their late thirties, early forties, you know, go sit with them because they've now started life. And what could you redo? What could you do better than they did? Go seek that guidance. I mean, we, for some strange reason, I don't know whether it's embarrassment, whether it's pride, I don't know what the, what, what the right answer is. But for some reason, we, we don't take advantage enough of the different age bands within the family of God that we should and go seek guidance. But that's my soapbox for the day. Um, well said. Um, as we move forward here, we've kind of looked at some of the practical implications of having of having debt and, and the, the corrosive effect that they can have on, on our desire to have this aspirational stewardship budget. But, I, you know, I, I think also we, we certainly need to look at the, the, the biblical um, directives and, and the, the warnings about debt um, and take those seriously. So I'll, I'll, I'll take a couple of verses here, Mike, and then I'll... And I'll let you take a couple and, and a couple questions for you. The, the, I think the first one really speaks to things we've already talked about. In Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. I mean, that is precisely what we're talking about when we say that when we lock ourselves into these debt situations, um, those, those suddenly uh, give us much less flexibility in our budget because those are things that we cannot... Uh, all of a sudden, we don't have that flexibility. We're locked into this payment. We are slave to this payment. And so, uh, unfortunately, as we've mentioned, what happens is the, the giving and the saving part of our budgets get compressed because we're now we're slave to the lender. We're slave to the credit card company. We're slave to the student loan company. We're slave to the mortgage lender because those, those payments are, are now non-negotiable. And, and, and the things in our budget that feel more fluid, that feel uh, more negotiable, they end up taking the, the brunt of that. I, I, I just think that that first line really sums up a lot of what we've already talked about. Mm -hmm. um, the, the second one here from Proverbs, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you speak on this briefly. Um, there's, there's many directives in the book of Proverbs and, and in the Psalms about pledges. And that, that's kind of an Old Testament word. And, and but I think it has definitely has some some modern day implications, but do not want to be one of those who gives pledges. You'll notice down in, in chapter 17, verse 18, one who lacks sense gives a pledge. Um, chapter 11, verse 15, he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. Uh, so can you just talk briefly about um, pledges? Uh, that's, that's the English standard version. Uh, and does that have a modern equivalent? What do we need to be uh, on the lookout for? All right, so, so really we're talking about um, the term here is collateral, right? 
Um, and, you know, the verse here, be not one of those who gives pledges, who put up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? So it's a be careful. Pretty, pretty direct there. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not just this, but, you know, your, your vehicle, your transportation. I mean, there's, there's a massive business of repossessing cars. You know, uh, it's a massive industry out there. If you don't pay your car note, somebody shows up with a tow truck and will take your car. Um, and, and I don't know how many of you out there uh, have, have ever paid attention to this, but when you fill out an auto loan application, they not only ask you for your address and your employer's address, but the address of your closest living, nearest living relative. Why? Because they will show up at their house and try to repossess your car thinking maybe you're over for a barbecue. But it's this practical thing. So you've got to be very careful and very thoughtful with debt and understand that when you put up collateral, whether it's your home that could go into foreclosure, a vehicle that could be repossessed, or, you know, if you've got furniture or, um, you know, TVs, whatever, that somebody could show up and demand the collateral back. Um, here's the other terrible thing about this um, from the bank perspective. So let's say you have a car loan and you owe $20,000 on that car. Okay. Just, we're just going to use some round numbers and they repossess the car because you missed three or four payments. I don't remember what the, the number is, but anyway, you missed so many payments. They come get the car. They come get the car and they sell that car at auction for $10,000. Guess who owes the other 10? You. So now you have no vehicle and now you've got $10,000 of phantom debt that you've got to pay off and no value for it. So you've got to be very, very careful because the, the, the collateral does not cover the loan. You're still responsible for it, even if they collect the collateral. So be very careful in these things. If the point of the proverb is be very careful because you could lose whatever you put up as collateral if you do not make your payments. So if you enter into an agreement, make your payments. Um, make sure you can make them long before you ever enter into the agreement. So two things on that real quick. One, I think that speaks to our our directive is the, before you get into any debt of any size of any type, make sure you can make the payment. That's pretty straightforward. Do the budget, do the work, you know, do your work ahead of time. I think, I think Proverbs 24, 27 um, makes that, makes that point very clearly prepare your work, get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house, <laughs> make sure that you are in financially in a position where you can, you can really buy that house, build that house, take on that debt, whatever it is. I just think that that uh, I, th I think that verse is very important. Get get your financial house in order before you enter into that agreement. So so that so that that's one. Um, right. So, go ahead. Let me let me throw in something there too. And I don't I don't mean to be a jerk about this, but I'm going to kind of be a jerk about this. You don't need an abacus and a slide rule to do this anymore. Th there are apps. Just Google car payment, mortgage payment, debt payment. You can plug in <laughs> what you're going to purchase the amount of time it's going to be financed for and the interest rate. And it will tell you the payment. Like you do not have to wait until you're at the car dealership or you're at the, you know, store or whatever and let them tell you the payments. And then you try to do math on your own. You can sit down long before you ever make the decision to purchase and do this homework. It is easy with Google. Everything is so much easier. It used to be hard. Today it's not. So really you have no excuse to not do your homework. Correct. 
Secondly, I would say on this, this idea of pledges and having your bed taken out from under you, so to speak, I mean, consider the spiritual implications of that for a moment. Um, and, and I think there's a couple that, that deserve our attention. One is you have made an agreement that you have not um, lived up to. You've, you've essentially made a promise that you haven't kept. And that has spiritual implications that I think we should take very seriously. Um, that, that's, that's important for one. If, if your bed's taken out from under your, if they are going to the barbecue to repossess your car, you, you, you have made a, you have made a pledge, you've made a promise, um, you have made an agreement. And as a Christian, you haven't lived up to that agreement. I think we should take that seriously. Secondly, if everything is God's, think about the implications of that. So you, you have this, you have this, you've given stewardship of this asset. You have stewardship of God's asset. And, and because your financial house is not in order, it's just gone. God's asset has been taken from you. The ability for whatever kingdom purpose that asset has is just gone because our financial house is not in order. That is, I mean, you think the one talent man had something to answer for because he didn't grow what he had been given. What, what about if, if what we have been given is just taken from us because our financial house is not in order? That uh, uh, again, that is a, that's a financial issue. That's an economic, it's a very practical issue. I, I also happen to think that's a spiritual issue that, that if we got stewardship over something and we mismanaged that to the point where God's asset is put into unholy hands because, because we didn't have our financial house in order that has spiritual implications. Yeah. The, the conversation with the one talent guy, we can all honestly say did not go well, right? That conversation. <laughs> it went poorly. Yes. Imagine if Jesus shows up and he's like, where's my money? And well, Jesus, not only do I not have the one talent, but you owe five. <laughs> imagine, imagine how that conversation goes. So Jesus, I leveraged your talent and I, I really, I had, I had a, a tech stock uh, that I put the money in. Uh, I think long-term will be okay, but right now I'm, I'm making pain. Yeah. I just, can you imagine? And that is the position that so many of us are in with what it, you know, uh, yeah. Well, well said. I think that gets, that gets just, just terrible. So, you know, moving on here, the the other thing, and again, in this idea of pledges, uh, whoever puts up security for a stranger, 11, 15, will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledges secure. Uh, this is the idea of co-signing. That, that's our vernacular. You know, be very, 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 very careful who you co-sign for. Very. Because there, there's a reason they need a co-signer, okay? Let's understand that. And secondly, their problems become your problems. So if you co-sign for somebody and they don't pay their debt, the lender is going to come after you. And if they don't have any money because they've mismanaged everything else and you have money, guess who the lender is going to come for? The one with money. Can't get blood out of a turnip. So the lender will come after you. That's why they're making you co-sign so that if something goes bad, they can come and get money from you. So again, you know, be thoughtful in this. I, I think as a Christian, sometimes we do stupid things. Um, and, and, you know, stupid, that, that's, that's harsh. We, we do things that we don't think through. Um, we do things that we're maybe ignorant of. We don't understand the jeopardy that we put ourselves in. 
Um, and, and even for a brother or sister in Christ, I, you know, stranger here, I, I don't think is just the guy from out of town. But if you don't know the condition of their flocks, so if brother or sister in Christ comes to you and says, hey, I, you know, I'm struggling with this loan. Can you co-sign for me? You better understand the condition of their flocks before you, you sign that. You better have some long and hard conversations about why they need a co-signer, what their budget looks like, what their cash flow looks like before you stick their neck out. Because they may not be a stranger to you in the flesh, but they may very much be a stranger to you financially. And again, consider the spiritual implications of that. I mean, that the the fact that because we have we have signed into this agreement, and by the way, security for a stranger is like the ultimate scriptural flashing red siren. There are so many times it says step back, be aware, reconsider, danger, danger Will Robinson. There, so when you when you enter that agreement, now you're putting God's assets at risk for something that you don't even have any control over. That that's that we, we should take extreme caution when we're thinking about those things. If we believe that, that God has put these assets in our possession for his purposes and that we are in any way utilizing them for kingdom benefit, and then we're going to put those things at risk for something that we don't have any control over. Um, again, the, the scripture is very clear that we, we need to take that very, very seriously. Why does our friend, why does even our, our brother, why, why do they need us um, to do this for them? Is there another way that we can assist them? Can, can we loan or give them what they need outright? It is so much a better situation for both parties than, than to put potentially God's things at risk in this scenario. Right. And, and, and that everybody looks bad in town, right? You know, y- your reputation gets ruined very quickly when everybody goes bad. Correct. Um, it, it, verse, or, uh, chapter 17 and verse 18 uh, there's, there's a few places in Proverbs where um, I guess the best thing to say is he just doesn't mince words. You know, it's just, he's going to hit you right between the eyes with it. One who lacks sense gives a pledge and puts up security in the presence of his neighbor. You know, look, we've got, and, and this is to the reputational risk, right? That, that's what this is. We've got to be very careful what our name says in town. And if you are the guy that writes cold checks in town and everybody knows it, that's a problem. If you, um, you know, are the one that, you know, if your neighbors see you get your car repossessed, you know, it, think about the, the spiritual implications of that. They see your financial life in ruins, debt collectors knocking on the door, um, you know, cars getting repossessed and you say, Hey, we're having a gospel meeting next week. Come to church with me. And they look at you like you're crazy. Like, you know what? My life may not be great, but yours looks worse than mine. So why would I want to do what you do? Right. Yeah. There, there's big implications of that. No question. If you look at qualifications of elders and deacons. What's one of the things that often we kind of, you know, we don't spend a ton of time on, but I think is significant. It is, they have a good name, right? That, that's one of the qualifications. You have a good name is known well. Well, you know, this is one of those things that, and, and quite honestly, it's a harder to fix. Listen, it's easier for me to work on my anger and my patience than changing the town's perception of me because I've been financially illiterate for how many ever years. Um, yep. So it, the, that reputation risk is very, very hard to get back once we've ruined it. Caveat. We, I think we both understand and, and probably just need to say out loud that we, we do understand that, that tragedies and calamities happen, happen in people's lives. We understand that. 
so we, we, we would, we would never say, Hey, nothing bad should ever happen to you. You should never be in a tight spot. That, that's not fair. Right. But I think we would also say there is a reputational and a, a spiritual difference between a Christian with a stewardship budget falling into a calamity and someone whose financial house has never been in order and that puts themselves into a calamity uh, because of poor decisions. There, there's a distinction there that um, uh, I, I think with a little time and research and, and prayer is, is pretty clear um, that, that we can put ourselves in these situations. Hey, time and chance happens. People have calamities. We understand that. We're going to help each other through those things. That's a different scenario. Right. And, and, and that point is Acts chapter two, right? You know, they weren't chastised. The people that were there that had nothing that found themselves in Jerusalem. Now the, all the, all the members of the church there went and sold their property, had all things in common, right? It wasn't that, you know, you guys fell prey and didn't follow any of the Proverbs. So we shouldn't help you. That's not what happened there. It was, a unique circumstances, calamities, you're doing the best you can and things happen. And that's, you know, that's part of the responsibility of the family of God, right? That we take care of each other. So, you know, there are times and, and things where, where this stuff happens and, and, and look, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about living fast and loose. And if you do that, here's the thing. And, and I want to be very direct when I say this, you should expect bad things to happen to you. If you live fast and loose and you're not, paying attention, you should expect bad stuff to happen. But if you're careful and you can avoid so many of those calamities just with a little bit of, of study, just with a little bit of patience, just with a little bit of prayer, just with a little bit of seeking counsel from people that have been there before. And if we're both being careful, Mike, if you and I are both being careful, then we got the second Corinthians eight thing going on where my abundance at this present time can meet your lack so that your abundance at a later time can meet my lack. And so that is why we have kingdom, um, kingdom purposes, budget buckets set aside in our giving portion of our budget so that when, when, when you do have that calamity, it is not financially ruinous to you because we have a relationship and I can help you in that situation. Again, Second Corinthians 8, my abundance at this present time can supply your need so that your abundance in a future time can supply my need. But that only happens if both of us have planned and have, have a stewardship budget and know the condition of our flocks. So, and back to what, where we started here, right? If we're both strapped down with these debt payments and I come to you and say, Michael, I've had a calamity. You look at me like, man, I, you know, you turn your pockets inside out, right? Like brother, I got my own payments, (laughs) you know? And so it's in a difficult situation, right? Because yes. that's where, you know, then you get into isolation and feeling alone and there's all the, the stress and the problems that come with that. But if, you know, if, if we all pay attention to this, then we should have that. And we talked about it, that God's money account that's there. Hey, you know, I, God's money account's got X dollars in it. Here's what I can help you with. I may not be able to get you all the way there, but, I, you know, I got this month, this number that, that may help you for now. And let's sit down and figure out how we can do something together. But that that's, if none of us are prepared for that, guess what? We're never going to be able to fulfill second Corinthians. And, and that, I think it speaks to one of these verses, Psalm 37, 21, the wicked borrows and doesn't pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives that, that I think that speaks directly to what we're talking about. Romans 13 verse eight. Oh, no, anyone, anything except to love one another. 
Uh, that's the only thing that me, you and I are supposed to owe each other, Mike, is, is not, not debt, but, but love to one another. And in Deuteronomy 28, when, when God is talking about the blessings that would come on the children of Israel if they, if they were to follow his laws and do his will and keep his, keep his statutes, the Lord will open to you his good treasury and you will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Uh, again, that's aspirational. I get it. That, that's uh, somewhat figurative. But the, the, the optimal condition of God's people was that they would be, they would be lenders to many nations. They wouldn't, they wouldn't be borrowers. I think that's significant. Um, go ahead. Uh, only we had a government that believed in that. <laughs> Unfortunately, the the government are truly representatives of of the average person in that regard. Um, the the last thing we wanted to talk about um, in regard to to debt was this this parallel that Scripture makes between debt forgiveness and sin forgiveness, and I think for a couple reasons, and I'll let you run with that, Mike. One is First of all, debt and sin are, um, are are kind of paralleled in that in that regard, and I think that just that fact alone should give us some pause. But we talked about the the, the borrower being slave to the lender. That 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 example lends itself very well to this comparison of us being slaves to sin, and so Jesus and and the apostles in the New Testament understood that. And so that, that was used as a parable um, uh, many times about, we, we understand how crushing uh, earthly economic debt can be. The, the, the joy and the freedom of being released from that, Jesus compared to the joy and the freedom of being released from sin on, on at least a couple of occasions. And so uh, we talk about that a little bit, but I, I think that parallel is so, uh, it's so important. Not only the, the most important part of that, obviously, is the spiritual implications of being free from sin. We talk about that, but in, in the context of this study, that should help us to understand how serious um, economic debt is. That Jesus would use it as a parallel to sinful uh, sla- the, the the slavery that we have to, to sin. Um, that gives me some pause. Yeah, and. The other thing to, you know, kind of as we start to draw this stuff to a close and talk here is that debt's not new, right? This isn't a new problem. This isn't a, you know, 21st century problem. You know, we got debt back conversations in Deuteronomy, right? So this has been a problem for people since the beginning. Um, There probably wasn't any credit card debt in Eden, I don't think. But, you know, probably shortly thereafter. Um, that became and, and is a problem and it plagues. And the issue is, you know, especially when debt gets out of control and becomes insurmountable, um, that, that's what sin feels like. And sin is that debt that, that can't be paid for. So when we get to the New Testament and Jesus, you know, is talking about, you know, debt and the kingdom and debt and, and, and spiritual things, um, you know, we see, you know, some, some parables that deal with that. So Matthew 18, 21 through 35, and we're not going to take the time to read through all of it, but that's the parable of the unforgiving servant, right? Quick story, you know, sir, the master comes to the servant and he owes him, you know, what's, what's the number, Michael? Is it 15 years or 30 years worth of money? Well, of the, the, the note that I have in scripture, the, the 10,000 talents is the amount that is, is referenced in Matthew, um, Matthew 18. 
10,000 talents. One talent was 20 years of labor. So, I mean, it is a astronomical sum of money. It's right. one of, I mean, it's, it, it was used for um, almost comical, farcical impact. Um, right. He owes a bazillion dollars. I mean, okay. uh, yeah, that, that'd be the modern equivalent. He owes a bazillion dollars. It was such an amount that it would be like one of those, like, if it was in a movie, like the record would stop, everybody would be still, and, and he would turn to the camera and say, I guess you're wondering how I got into this situation. Like it's right. an impossible, it's an impossible amount of debt. Right. So he owes a bazillion dollars. <laughs> yes. And the master comes to him. I, like I, it's, it's, I don't even know how, maybe he levered it up and there were some options that went bad. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> he owed bunches of money. And the master comes to him and says, look, you're never going to pay this. I'm going to forgive you. And the guy says, thank you, thank you, serve you, love you, all that stuff, right? He then immediately goes to a guy that owes him like a couple of dollars, that owes him like an afternoon's labor. And the guy doesn't have it, can't pay him, so he presses him, puts him in jail, and it's just a terrible, hateful guy to him. The master finds out about this and ends up putting him in jail and forgiving the lesser guy, right? The point of this is, and, and the point that Jesus is making here in Matthew chapter 18 is, if, when we're forgiven, we should have a heart to forgive others. That, that's the point here. But I think it's very interesting that he uses the idea of debt, that we can become such a slave to our debtors. You know, we owe the equivalent of a bil- bazillion sin debt to God for the sins that we've committed. And yet, how. How do we treat those that have harmed us much, much less, right? If somebody cuts me off in traffic, do I, you know, God's forgiven me of all that I've done and you cut me off in traffic and I want to put you in the wall. Like, what does that say about how much I appreciate what God has done for me? But that idea of that debt, not only that hanging on us, but this guy now then goes like, you know, downhill to say, well, now I'm going to press because if I can take that money now that I'm relieved from my debt, but it opens the condition of the heart. And it also opens it up to the fact of how much debt changes us. And I think those burdens and that debt can make us do things that we normally wouldn't do. Um, I I think that stress can lead to to anger. I think it can lead to lashing out. I I think it can lead to other poor choices, you know, uh, gambling and other things, trying to find a way to get rich quick, to get out of, of this massive hole that we've dug ourselves in. I mean, there's so many bad things that can come with that. And I think this parable kind of shines the light on that. Um, the, the second one we want to talk about is Luke chapter seven. Um, this is, if you remember, Simon, one of the Pharisees invites Jesus to have dinner with them, right? They have dinner outside on the patio. And in that time, the patio wasn't on the back of the house. It was on the side of the house because if you were prominent, you wanted to have everybody in town see who your dinner guests were. Like it was a big, big deal. So this woman who was full of sin, whether she was a prostitute or whatever else, we don't know. She was full of sin. Everybody knew she was full of sin. Comes and washes Jesus' feet with tears and anoints him with oil and calls him Lord and Savior. Well, the Simon reclines at the head of the table and says, you know, if this guy was, a, he's thinking to himself as in his own mind, his own heart, says if he was really a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman this was and wouldn't let her touch him. Jesus, knowing the thoughts and intentions of the heart, calls him out on it and says, you know, and tells him this story. And he said, you know, uh, a master had, you know, slaves that owed him in different amounts. 
which one loved him the most. And it was the one that he forgave the most. And he said, yes, he who has much sin, you know, is forgiven much, loves much. He who does not forgiven much does not appreciate it much. And so the point again here is that debt that's on us, if we've got a bunch of it and we're forgiven a bunch, we should be even more appreciative. And it's almost really a slap in Simon's face because Simon's acting as if he doesn't have any sin, right? He's perfect. And therefore Jesus forgives him. It's not really a big deal because he hasn't really done anything wrong in the first place. So the woman who is forgiven, who Jesus tells to go her way and sin no more, is overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus would forgive her. But why? Because her life was a wreck because of the sin that she was in. Because she had so much sin, she was so overcome with the fact that she could receive forgiveness that, that it was, was life-changing. So think about that again. Same situation, that when we are overcome with debt that we can't get out of, and, and it doesn't appear there's any way out, you know, if, if you can only afford, if you've got student loan debt and credit card debt and all you can afford is the minimum payment and you look on your, you know, uh, on your statement that you get every month or every quarter and it says this will be paid off at this rate in 50 years, you know you're never getting out. The interest is snowballing and it gets out of control and you feel very overwhelmed. That, that's the situations that can be created by, by, by not paying attention, by not looking and, and planning ahead because it can get out of control and it can get out of control very quickly, um, you know, with, without a, a whole lot of, uh, of trying to. And then last also, one, Mike, oh, I think that also gives us a, a picture, uh, a snapshot of what forgiveness is, um, of, of what justification is, is that we have, you know, compare that economically. We have, we don't have our spiritual house and our, our, our economic house in order. We've got, we've got these debts that are compiling on one another. We haven't, we haven't used our stewardship budget. We've got, we've got our debts out of control. We can't make our mortgage. We can't make our credit card payments. It is, we are crushed. We, we've got, as you know, we got the mental health issues that come along with, with having overwhelming debt and, and then we, we lose our job and we are, we are in a unfixable economic disaster. We're going to lose everything. We got, we got debt that we have no hope of paying. And we go to the bank and, and we say, I, I, there's nothing I can do here. I'm, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose everything. I just want to tell you, I can't make these payments. And all the debt is taken away. Not because we deserve it, not because of anything, not because uh, we got promises that we're going to do better later. It's just flat out forgiven. That's the picture. That's the picture of sanctification. That's the picture of forgiveness. And Jesus, I think, understood that, that we could we could wrap our heads around what what that would mean economically. And so he used that to compare to what that what that should mean to us spiritually. Right. And not only that, but we would go in and then expect to be slaves to the bank, right? You know, you've forgiven everything and I'll be the janitor here. But instead of that, not only does everything get forgiven, but we become shareholders, right? You know, it's, hey, by the way, I'm going to wipe everything out and you're now a stakeholder in this bank. And not, not because our house was in order, right. but because it wasn't. It, we were a wreck. 
we 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 took on stupid debt and we we made terrible decisions and and we are in a position that that is hopeless is is economically hopeless and we walk in and it's all forgiven that that picture of forgiveness uh i think that should stick with us i'm, I'm looking for looking for the book on my shelf but it's uh, uh i can't think of the the author it's what's so great about faith um and and one of the points that he makes in there is is grace by its very nature is unfair that, that it's mathematically implausible and, and that's what grace is is that you know we should not expect that our foolish decisions be rewarded right i, I mean we that's that doesn't happen in the world but jesus said if you if we come to the bank if we come to him and unburden ourselves of all of this then he takes care of it and not only takes care of it, but then makes us a, a fellow heir, makes us a stakeholder, a shareholder in the bank, to, to, to use our terrible analogy here. But, but the significant part is what's required on our part is to come, right? It's to realize the condition that we're in and come. And he takes care of everything else. My responsibility is to come. And, and, and that's, that's what's so incredible about this. And I think that leads us right into Philemon. So you know, the story of Philemon, uh, for those of you that haven't studied Philemon a lot or, or read it in a while, um, Onesimus leaves and is a runaway slave. Um, you know, slave, indentured servant, whatever. Onesimus uh, is in servitude to Philemon. He runs away. Somehow along the way, he ends up in jail in Rome with Paul through his winding, twisting roads. He gets converted. Paul sends him back with a letter to Philemon. That says, let's quote here directly. Here's, here's part of the letter to Philemon. I'm going to read the verses 17 and 19, Mike. So Paul physically pins these words to Philemon. Remember, Philemon had Onesimus run away. Onesimus did a lot of these things we talked about, made bad decisions. But here's what Paul wrote to Philemon. If you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Uh, take all on that. Yeah. You've got, I mean, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that scene, right? Um, and Michael and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but, you know, here, if you're Philemon, you're mad that you lost Onesimus. He's run away. You're angry about that, at least at some level. He shows back up. There's some, there's some implication here that he may have stole also, I would add. Right. Yeah, may, may have stole or whatever. I mean, it's a bad deal. Whatever happened was terrible, right? So you got to be harboring some kind of feelings. I think that's fair. This guy shows back up months or even years later, the way travel and all that goes, right? And he shows up and he hands you this letter. First of all, he walked back in. He wasn't brought back in by the local authorities. He wasn't found. He shows back up on his own volition on your doorstep and hands you this letter. And you open up the letter and you recognize the handwriting. And you start reading that Paul says, not only is he coming back to you to serve in that capacity, I've sent him back home, but receive him as a fellow brother in Christ. Now he is a brother in Christ as well. 
So you gained a brother, whatever this terrible thing that happened, it ended up gaining a soul and you gaining a brother. And by the way, whatever he owes, I got it. Just put it on my tab. And remember that you owe me your life. I, I can't imagine how that feels. Can't imagine that level of emotion while you're standing on the doorstep waiting to let this guy in. But, but that's grace, friends. That, that's what forgiveness looks like. That's, what, that's how this thing feels. And it's got to be amazing for Onesimus. It's got to be amazing for Philemon. And we hope um, that, that, that as we make better decisions about this, as we get our lives in order, the most important thing, friends, if your budget's jacked up, but you can find Jesus, that's okay. We'll work on the budget stuff later. The most important thing is we understand what, how grace is and how grace works, that, that God loves us and wants the best for us. But part of that teaching, once we've got the big debt forgiven, which is our sin, once we've got that knocked out, now let's work with the small things. Now let's make sure that um, you're, better, you're in a better position as a family. You're in a better position to help others. You're in a better position to help the helpless. Yes. I think, we, I think as we've said many times, our, our, bank's, our bank statement is, a, is an index of our heart. And so if, if our heart is out of whack, we should expect that our bank account is out of whack. You know, that, that, um, that, that, that doesn't, it makes sense that that's the case. And so to your point, if we really want to fix this, and I think we've said this before, and I hope we make this point clearly, if we want to fix this, we got to go upstream is we got, we got to fix the big debt first. And the big debt is the, the comparison that Jesus makes many times to, to sin. And we fix that debt, get our heart right. Then we can start to understand that these are God's assets and, and we have this aspirational stewardship budget. But that doesn't make sense unless we get the big debt fixed. Right. And, and let's understand, too, th this isn't great economics, friends. Like when we, when we, the way we're talking about this and looking at it as God's money and giving money first and then giving you know, having um, replacement funds and all that, that's not how the world's going to teach you to do it in economics. But let's remember what Paul wrote in first Corinthians chapter one, Christianity. When we look at things, God's way to the world, it's foolishness. It absolutely is. We're a consumer based society. But if you look at the statistics that comes with a lot of burdens and a lot of debt. So, you know, you can't do things God's way unless you belong to him. So if you're trying to fight against this and, you know, you want to do this because you think it'll help you better financially. If your heart's not right, you're never going to be able to do this. You, you can't. It's, it's just not possible. But if you get your heart right, you get your life right, then these things take on better and deeper meaning. That appreciation allows you to do the hard things that's necessary to do what we're talking about here. Yeah, our, our, our stewardship budget is not about maximizing our consumption, right? It's, it, it's, not, about, it's not about maximizing our economic output. Um, that in, the, in those ways, we are diverting from what me and you were taught in classical economics and accounting. We're not trying to maximize those things. We're trying to maximize God's return on his investment in us and, and, and trying to maximize our spiritual return. So that, that means we're going to abandon some of the things that, that you and I, you know, were, were in some of our textbooks. That's cool. <laughs> Milton Freeman's shaking his head at us from the grave right now. Yeah, there, and, and that's, that's great. So we can take the principles of those things. I think it's good that we know them, we learn them. We can take the principles of those things, but uh, apply them in a, in a, in a spiritual way, um, to, to in, in a rational way. We can have a budget. We can apply some of the things 
we also know that we're going to treat this differently because we believe it. We believe it's God's that that makes that makes a difference. Thank you all for joining in. We are um, way past time, but thank you all for, for tuning in and listening in and, uh, and being with us along the ride. Um, we'll continue working through um, the budget and the schedule uh, in our next lesson and uh, try to get maybe another one done here in the next few days um, and, and get it posted and get back on the horse. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being with us. And we pray that these things are helpful and beneficial in your life as you try to do a better job of serving God today than you did yesterday. All good. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. See you.